0: our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Ragnar, kicking it to you live with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign. With the adventure, the kings, and the quest, Gorgareth. You know, speaking of Gorgareth, the last episode was kind of a truth bomb doozy where Jarzak came clean about a certain character named Shakad, uh, apparently king of Gorgareth, somehow, some way uh, relevant. Um, but yeah, we found out that the people of Glory Wake are being held in Gorgareth now as potentially spoils, slaves, maybe a bargaining chip. Hard to tell from what Anton was able to gather from sending messages to uh, uh, the High Priest Thrail there of Glorywake. The party had just arrived in Quarrydale, arriving in Enton, and um, had a moment to speak with the Council of the Staff, and where we left off was the group of the gnomes and the halfling and a few dwarves in attendance uh, speaking about what the potential... I don't know what they could do with this metal. And basically the uh, short skinny of what they got was it's going to take a lot of time and research to figure out what they could possibly do to work with this metal, to get it to, you know, fit a certain shape, a molding so that they could reconstruct it, fit it in the portal, make a way to the immortals. So with all that being said, the last note you guys got from the council of the staff was that it's going to take at least a 10 day for them to figure out what they have to do in order to mold or smith with this this device to be able to fit it, to fit into the, uh, the portal itself. So from what you know, 10 days, they're sending a group of gnomes over to Boltscrag in order to go there, make a mold, fit it to the actual portal itself, and then bring it back so that they'll have something with which to actually, you know, potentially melt the metal down into to properly fit it But the real question that they have and the thing that's perplexing them immediately is wondering what the heck they could do to superheat a metal such as this in order to possibly get it to be like crafted, you know? And so with that, the dwarves and the gnomes say that they're going to do everything they can to figure out as quickly as possible. But they said that in the meantime, there was plenty of stuff that you guys could do around here. If you didn't mind a little bit of extra labor,
4: we do have a dragon that's a possible ally in the mountains now. Possibly Which dragon is that? The one they experimented on. And oh, that dragon
1: gave his life to make the weapon.
4: Oh, did no. he die? He was like, no, he's not. Dying? He's not dead. He I don't
3: think he has a fire breath though anymore.
1: No, we we, we know for a fact that it's like rusty spikes.
3: Yes,
0: we all learned pretty hard
3: that it's just
0: mostly Rusty Spikes. That's so funny. But yeah, they're like, you know, we don't expect he would want to work with us on this. Yeah, that was Tartharja, the Rusty Dargon there. Um, But yeah, and so they just say that they're going to have to do some work with this. And that the uh, dwarves had some important things to talk about um as well as the uh captain of the uh runners had something that he would probably be able to talk to you guys about as well
1: and norhill will uh you know hold court for the dwarves he
0: has been away for quite a while okay and basically the uh unfortunate response they give about where the dwarves have been holding their usual meetings is a ale hall like a a large tavern with a large function hall basically and the dwarves just pile into that place and drink the place dry pretty much every time they have a meeting which is usually just them you know discussing whatever and then drinking all of the booze in the place playing darts and and billiards until they go home so it's you know I mean, they're paying, but it's, yeah, it's kind of their party spot. So basically, when you say you need to hold council, they're like, yeah, you're going to want to go to the Salty Spittoon down the street. And you go there, it's just dwarves hanging out. It's just a dwarf club now. That sounds
1: good them. for an enlisted commoner dwarf like Norhill. That's perfectly normal.
0: Yeah. So with that, uh, what would you guys like to do? Is This is in the morning when you arrive and have this meeting. So it's pretty much the full day ahead of you. The uh, captain of the runners that you guys could also speak with, Um, his name is a good one. It's a Caldrow Swifthound, and he's one of the halfling runners who er, works as sort of like a, I don't want to say it, kind of like a ranger style military, but he's the captain of the runners there. Um, But yeah, Yeah, I'll speak with him. I was going to say, and then Norhill, your father was the one who was sort of standing in your place for the council seat, wasn't he? As well as a group of other ones,
1: yeah. I, yeah, I said I, le- I let them vote and they voted for Norhill's
0: father, naturally. No nepotism, it's like reverse nepotism, but anyway, um, pop-itism. Um, but with that, yeah, so okay. Um, what was Jarzak and Klika going to do then? Um,
3: I guess Jarzak could. Or, no, Klika could try and track down Marge and Karakal just to see what they're up to. She also, I guess, wants to ask the council if they know of any Tome Guard presence in the city, because Klika is aware that she is still a target for them.
0: I'm sure you're fine. Okay, and then what about Jarzak? Were you going to do anything, or are you just kind of hanging with Klika?
2: Uh would probably just hang with Clique uh. go look at okay. the people with her.
0: I was gonna say Yig Kalath, and Auk are gonna be coming with you guys as well as Click. So it looks like you guys are gonna be a traveling band in your all your own. So Norhill gets the mead hall going. Everybody there starts drinking up and you pull together as much information as you can. The very unfortunate information that your father gives you. Uh, while well, your family comes there and obviously gives you probably the warmest welcome you could have hoped for. Every time they're away from you, assuming maybe you're going to fight strange aberrational monsters from beyond space and time. But you know, twice you made it. Twice. Yeah, twice.
1: And, and more, so with that, <laughs> more horrible details.
0: And so they're all just very happy to see you. So there is quite a joyous day. The uh, banquet and a few uh, big shanks of meat are thrown on the cooker as a six hour party begins in your honor i like um, to
3: believe that the reason they chose that drinking hall was because it has like a large center stage in the middle of the hall where like bards and stuff are supposed to perform but once the dwarves get drunk enough they just turn that into the wrestling pit <laughs> it's
0: just karaoke and wrestling yeah but um, uh, yeah, and so the very unfortunate news that Norhill receives, his standing lord of the hall, who's now gone, uh, there is quite a bit of hubbub coming from the Southlands, and unfortunately, coming further north to where you, uh, where the uh, halls are. Apparently, the thief princes of the kingdom of Tyhalon, uh they've sent a few emissaries north which have come in the form of basically roaming bands of thieves who with a lot of air quotes all over the place are not doing anything wrong and anything that happens that anybody seems to catch anybody doing they're not truly associated with the speaker or the ambassador or anybody of importance who is getting involved but basically what you've heard is that they've been trying to find ways to talk to the dwarves and buddy-buddy themselves with deals and trade routes and a lot of very extortiony sounding stuff you know a lot of things to try to get very close to the dwarves and the dwarves being well the dwarves of the hall are not associating themselves with humans unless they absolutely have to especially not being business partners but unfortunately what they've heard is that there's been a rise in crime with bandits in the area all since those guys have come north to have meetings in the, uh, you know, in the Valley with the dwarves. So it's, it's brought in a lot of very unnecessary crime. The only bit of information that they've really been able to grab that seems to be of any like reputable importance was uh, the name Erlisle. Erlisle Yilpon. And apparently Erlisle is the one who came to give sort of like the big intro speech a very slick, very attractive guy, and very persuasive. But luckily, the stalwart nature of the dwarves there is one to keep them at bay. So, that's the one person they could imagine maybe the person to talk to about this. But yeah, that's the unfortunate news that they've got about that. Apart from that, from what they've heard from the gnomes and the alchemists and everything, that stink bomb went off, and it's basically a well impromptu mass tomb uh you know it, it's the second one we've gotten it's the first one you've devised but yeah duergar are not surviving going in there with uh, various breathing apparatus and finding ways to get through there comfortably it definitely cleared out quite a lot uh all of the metal works down there have rusted and deteriorated uh not completely but enough that you know they're it's rusted it's broken but the bittersweet reality is that the dwarves will probably be able to start moving in sooner than later once they air it out in the springtime in the summer so it seems like it'll be somewhere to stay as the uh war front continues with our friend the herald of steel they figure they'll stand a better chance inside of there now that they know what's going on and can protect themselves from anybody south or north up or down
1: All right, uh, Norhill will instruct the dwarves to deal with the bandits as we've always done. If the thief princes want to treat with us, they can send real emissaries. Um, As far as the uh, halls go, as as soon as the air is safe to breathe with no protective gear, uh, uh, focus on opening up new mines and finding fresh veins of metal untouched by the weapon. Uh, that way, we can be, begin repairing infrastructure.
0: Perfect. Okay. And so Anton, on the other hand, wanted to go meet with the captain, Mr. keldro Swifthound. And keldro Swifthound is pretty easy to find. Apparently at this time of day, he's actually in leaving at the evening so he can go out and keep the place safe during the nighttime hours. Um, but you go to meet with him at the barracks and he is a small, very short, very wide halfling, definitely a stout halfling. Uh, his mustache reaches at least three inches from each of his cheeks way off his face. It is just like Salvador Dali just style just wing flying off his face. But he like religiously keeps with him a Greyhound that is very stout as well as him. Sort of one of those things where the dog kind of looks like the owner a little bit. But he himself seems to be wearing the most regal looking military equipment that he could possibly wear. But when you approach and come into the, uh, the barracks there, he seems to know you by face and by title and with that he comes forward to you with a stiff leather gauntlet that seems to be well worn from time and use and you can tell that at his side he not only has the most deadly looking sling you've ever seen um, basically equipped with a scope on it as well as having like a rapier on his other side and as he approaches and holds out his little hand to you he says well met well oh, met he yes, it
4: a ma- handshake and he says i heard you might have needed assistance for my party
0: and he says i've needed assistance from all ends but unfortunately as anybody could tell you we are not doing well and as war is on the horizon and hanging around corydale on all sides the best we can do is what we've been doing with the runners to keep the iron maelstrom at bay Those strange, rusty, metallic men have been nothing but a nuisance for us. But luckily, with our wonderful strategies, with decoy villages and traps laid on the horizon, they've been little able to get anywhere near any of our homes or civilizations. Unfortunately, however, we have been dealing with a very strange and uh, unfortunate other problem. Humans have been involving themselves in our affairs and in our lands. And he gives you a quick up-down once and he says, no offense, but usually when humans enter our lands, it's to steal our gems, take our magics, steal our alchemical supplies, or cause general mischief just because they were a few feet taller than the rest of us. No offense.
4: Are they refugees of war?
0: I don't believe so. Unfortunately, They're very strategic, and it seems like what we're dealing with are career burglars, as well as (laughs) highwaymen and extortionists. These are people who are very good at what they do. It would seem we're dealing with a very well-trained force that know particularly how to get under our skin and how to latch themselves in, sort of like a porcupine's quill something that spreads once it's under the skin and makes it that much harder to tear out. You know, usual banditry is pretty simple. Attack a carriage, attack a caravan, take the stuff, go. But these ones work differently, and we have fear that they may be coming from the south, maybe from the kingdoms of Taihalon. but from what we've heard from the dwarves, this is likely the case. All I'm looking for is for some sort of way that we can try to root these people out. If they're this organized and this strategic, they must have some sort of a person in charge. So my best guess is that you'd be able to, and at this point the door opens and Karakal and Margay come walking in with a couple of hounds at their side as well. And as soon as they see you, Karakal sort of, you know, gives you a quick and silent little nod with a little wry smile. And Margay like slaps her hound on the butt, thing goes running over, jumps up onto your chest and starts licking at your face. And Margay comes running over and hugs your leg. And the whole room just becomes just dogs barking and growling and sniffing and licking. And the halflings are all trying to get them under wraps. But with that, yeah, the uh, captain of the guard basically tells Marge and Caracol that this is professional business and this is not the time to be intruding. And with that, Margay and Caracol, uh holding back some chuckles, give a couple of quick nods and then are off on their way. And with that, he says, where was I? If I can be, I think the best strategy here is just to figure out who's in charge, because if they're working this well together as a unit, there must be somebody who pulls the strings. If this is an organized company, there must be somebody in charge. And unfortunately, I don't know who that is, and I don't know how we could find it. Perhaps if you could maybe involve yourself in their ordeals or their crimes or something, you could find out who's at the top. Maybe then we could have some sort of commune with them, offer them some sort of I don't know. At this point, I'm doing the best I can to prevent war on the horizon. And these thieves are taking advantage of our spread resources. So you and your band, I'm sure, would do well to help us out somehow with this. But I'm afraid that's the best I can give you for information. I've heard the dwarves have had some sort of commune with them in the past, so perhaps it would be best to speak with them. I find it hard to believe the dwarves would do anything that could possibly cause damage to their so gracious hosts, us of Quarrydale. And I'm sure they would know better than to honor thieves with counsel. So whatever that's worth to you, Anton of Glorywake. And as he says it, he kind of looks down at his shoes really quickly and he says, I must be off.
4: He gives him a nod. He says, we'll do everything we can. And he just asks, are these... Groups of people are they on your lands now? Where are they staying? Are they? You say they're a constant nuisance and they're getting under your skin. I'm assuming now they're somehow planted in your community.
0: And he says, if they're in the community, they're amongst the the peer like any other travelers. He says, obviously, no offense to you, but how did you make your way here? Just like any other human in such a port city, they could be here for any number of reasons, and that's probably how they're hiding and extorting and blackmailing many of the people here who are trying to make an honest work he says i don't know that there's any actual camps or anything like that and i think they do better by not doing that which again this is the orchestrations of somebody who knows a lot of what they're doing but in any case i'm afraid i, I must be off if i don't get my sleep now i won't be much help to anybody when i'm on my watch this evening
4: he gives him a nod that he can go off and rest and then he'll try to find a way, his way to Norhill to get him this information.
0: Okay. So you hop over to the mead hall and I mean, yeah, the little ale house there and you can see that the, uh, and pit has been brought up in honor of their king returning, or at least Lord returning. And you see Norhill speaking with his father and his little council of dwarves as one of the dwarves flies from the air and drops the people, the dwarf people's elbow onto another dwarf's noggin and knocks him to the ground. Um, Jarzak and Klika, however, asking around for where Karakol and Margay could be. Um, from what you've heard, people say they've been conscripted and they're doing work in the military at this point, joining the runners. And it looks like their work as travelers and rangers and bounty hunters put them in pretty nicely to be doing work at the barracks alongside the military. And so I imagine the time it takes you to get there as Anton has left uh caracol and margay have snuck out of one of the windows in the back of the barracks and you guys jarzak and Klika, as you approach the barracks see them as if like catching somebody in the middle of sneaking out of like their window they go like going to run right past you guys to head over to follow wherever the heck Anton went and stop dead in their tracks in the road with their dogs looking at both you and Klika. jarzak wait they snuck
3: their dogs out of the window too
0: Oh, yeah, they shoved him right out. And so with a couple of these Scooby doo looking greyhounds, they're just like, uh, hey. And with that, let lets go with the dog, taps it on the butt, and the dog goes flying over and knocks Klikka to the ground, slobbering all over her face. And Marge is like, she's like, it's okay. He doesn't mean any harm by it. And Caracol just yells out. It's just like, wait, she's the one with the germ problem. Wait. And with that, the uh, dog just keeps... Licking and lapping. Is Klinga okay with dog licks? No. has <laughs> <laughs> just gone and, completely stiff and is just waiting for it to end. <laughs> you know, in a, in a previous episode, you mentioned that she sounds like dial up when this happens. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, so the dial up noise starts coming out of as she's laying there. Jarzak will put himself between Kleeka and the dogs and with that the dog starts looking at jarzak instead until the uh, two of them can pull him in and with that margay reaches out with open arms and gives click a hug climbing on top of her while she's on the ground to give her a nice hug and then stands up stands you up and brushes the dirt and slobber off as best she can while the dial up is running and she says so uh how long you been in town how's it going oh we uh we just got back
3: it was, we went on like a little adventure. We saw a god fight a tentacle monster. And then we fought a fish that hates gods and saved a god.
0: And we rode some bats. And there was a big worm. With that, Caracal's mouth begins to slowly drop with every single thing you say. And Margay just kind of like nods and starts acting like it's more exciting the more you talk. Which kind of really showcases, I guess, the juxtaposition between the two of them, uh, I guess, more than anything else could. And with that, they, uh, yeah. And, and so, we met
3: our new friend, Kick the
0: Click. Oh, I forgot you had Yig Calath and Auk and Kick the Click. <laughs> yep. And with that, Karagol just points to Kick Kicks and is just like, yeah, you know, I was going to ask about that guy.
2: Yeah, our, I figured part, it was our party's changed a bit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sure did, as Kick is just, like, looking at the dogs menacingly and hungrily. <laughs> like, no, and no. just, Yeah, caracol just lets out one quick whistle and his dog comes running over to his side and he's like, so, uh, what are you doing now? Uh, well,
3: we had some downtime, so Click go on to see what you guys were up to. If
0: you had any fun stories. And with that, they say, well, or at least Margay steps in and she says, well, we joined the military. We uh, took all our wonderful skills of bounty hunting and we put it forward to doing this kind of stuff. We're uh, doing the best we can. And you can tell for a quick second that Margay's typical bouncy attitude is pulled back with sort of the hellish resolve of being in a wartime in a, like the last bastion of safety that there is on the continent or at least this side of it. And so she nods a couple of times and says, the uh, Iron Maelstrom has been pretty problematic and difficult, and we've been doing a lot of our runner tactics to try to make this work, but unfortunately, it's been really rough, and we've lost a lot of our friends, so I don't know. It's it's really good to see you guys, though, and we're very happy to see you around. I, usually, that means good things, and I don't know. Maybe... Uh, Well, I guess he went to bed already, but your friend Anton was just in there speaking with the captain, talking about something important by the looks of how upset he was when we tackled him with a dog. But uh, yeah, I think he wanted to go hang out with his buddy at the uh, alehouse. You know, the one. And as if to add punctuation to this, a dwarf in what looks to be like a luchador outfit goes flying through the window of an alehouse down the road, scraps himself up off the street and runs back into the building. And Margay's like, yeah, that one. And Kara call leans in. He says, this isn't part of our jurisdiction, is it? And she says, no, no, no we're off the clock. He says, what's a clock? And so with that. Um... Well, Clika is really glad that you guys are both
3: OK. Um, a lot of bad stuff has happened to the places that Kleek and her friends have gone. And she's really happy that you two are still here. And she's going to give them both another big hug.
0: And so with that, they uh, don't really say much Afterwards to that, but they give kind of a Knowing nod and remind you That you should go catch up with your friends While you can
3: Cleek is looking forward to seeing if any of the dwarves Can pull off the legendary maneuver The one quarter Delson And Clique runs off
0: <laughs> Very good Hawk asks if he can wrestle with Any of the dwarves
2: uh, You gotta you know, wrestle them all Cleaky, yeah, thinks
0: maybe
3: they could do tag team against you.
0: You know, he has Jarzak if Jarzak wants to get in on it.
2: You know, uh, as strong as I am, <laughs> I don't I don't think that's for me. I'll, I'll catch I'll catch you guys in a bit. Jarzak's gonna oh. make his way to the docks.
3: I, at okay. some point while we're traveling, Klika does want to pull aside Yucalus and ask, um, Yucalus, what? I, I know you have some knowledge of what your people might be up to. What are the chances we have to be worried about any dragonborn assassins while we're here in Entin?"
0: She basically keeps her reptilian eyes on Jarzak as you're talking to her. And as Jarzak skirts off the head down to the pier, she under her breath in the most like nonchalant way possible says we are all in very grave danger so long as our faces are showing in daylight or at night. And as Jarzak goes bumbling down the road, <laughs> she's just like, I'm going to keep an eye on him. Stay close to the dwarves. And with that, she bounces off down the road that way. Okay, be safe. Jarzak, can you roll a perception check? Sure can. Turns out Yig Kaleth was sent to kill Jarzak. <laughs> it just kills him. This is a message from Shekhan. Uh, I 18. Mean, what? 18. Okay. So what did you want to do down at the docks? I uh, want to find the captain. Okay. And so, yeah, he's still by the boat and they're still unloading things. It's only been a few hours, but still, in the matter of time that you guys are, you know, doing stuff, they probably would be wrapping it up now. So, you'd be able to find Captain Gella pretty easily. Um, is the
2: first mate there, too? The guy I talked to before?
0: Yeah, Lucky Dog would be there, too.
2: So, uh, Lucky Dog, I think I think you're right about the whole breathing thing.
0: He he, His eyes get gigantic, and he starts, like, <clears throat> doing the hand on the throat, like, shut the fuck up. He's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why? Are you breathing heavily? Perhaps you should see a clinician about that. Yeah,
2: it's real hard for me to breathe. Like, can I pull Lucky Dog aside? <laughs> Lucky Dog, I thought... Yeah. Do- I thought you wanted this to have the captain be able to, you know, not breathe
3: he
0: anymore. Said, and so he says,
2: <laughs> look, your
3: Cal <couch laughs> just hears that and throws a dagger through the captain's throat. <laughs> Done.
0: <laughs> no. Well, then he says he is way too proud of a man. He says, you can't, we can't talk about it like this. He says, you just got to be quick about it. Be honest about it and be upfront. He says, he's not going to like it if we make it seem like we're doing him a favor, okay? Just give it to him before he has time to let his dignity and his pride get in the way, okay? Captain! Just, just... Captain! <laughs> you know, He was already on his way over here, standing there listening in on all of it. So, Dolphin Boy
2: heard some fucking news about you.
0: And he just says, okay. What did the Dolphin Boy hear about me? <laughs> apparently you
2: used to love what the heck's that crap
0: and with that he gives a dirty look to you which turns into dark storm clouds as he looks over at the first mate <laughs> and the first mate looks over <laughs> at you like what is this why are you doing this he, he's a human right yeah they both are yeah uh,
2: with an elf right nonetheless you know they live a long time right
0: that how, he, how would that even he,
2: work to begin with
0: his eyes become slits as he looks to you with a deadly force you have never seen on him not even during the uh mutiny did he look so ready to kill a man with his bare hands <sighs> and so he looks to you real quick and he says count your words
2: that would never work without these and he hands over both the stones the one for not aging and the one for not breathing
0: and so with that he, as he like gets ready to lift a fist to like, or I guess with both hands to strangle you, he slapped the stones in both of his hands, and he looks down at him and he says, "You're gonna hand me some old rocks. What do you think? I don't have money. You think that this is no. what this is about?
2: Hey, no. <laughs> One of them makes them so you might be able to live as long as they can, and the other makes it so you can breathe on. Un- well, you don't need to breathe anymore." So you can live underwater
0: And so with that He looks down at his hands And he looks very angry At you them. And then he looks over <laughs> at the lucky dog And the lucky dog's like Yeah, accept them And he <laughs> gives a dirtier look to lucky dog And the dog, lucky dog's like Please <laughs> And so with that He hands over the aging one And he hands it back to you And he says Look I know he told you everything. And I know you both know very well how much I miss her. But for me to possibly find her is going to take the rest of my life to do so. And he looks over to Lucky Dog and he looks back at you. And one single tear cracks the aged, sunburned face of this old salty sailor, as he says. And I'm going to make it my life's mission. And I spend every day looking for her. And he looks over at you guys. And he immediately like tears off the clothing that he has. that's extra bunchy and bulky. And he, I don't know, starts running towards the ship and stops on his way, going down the stairs to the pier. And he says, lucky dog, she's yours. Whatever they need from you, do it. It's all yours. And he just swan dives, just full on right into the water. You can see him just swamming that way out.
3: Oh no, that's the side of the ship with the zombie shark attached to it.
2: Look at! <laughs> oh shit, I guess uh,
0: he didn't want to live forever. Lucky Dog's just like, we-, we could have had him hop on the boat, right?
2: Yeah, for
0: sure. But he's like, I will be right back. And he just starts chasing after him and jumps <laughs> in the water after him. No, Lucky Dog, what? Uh Okay. Jarza like, ironically jumps in and dies because he yeah. drowns. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I guess he really
3: did need those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you can see Lucky Dog gets stopped in the water. Uh, I mean, sorry, the uh, Captain Brongela gets stuck in the water and the Lucky Dog is able to bring him back. And then they start hurriedly, start loading things back onto the boat. Hey, and... hey Captain, real quick.
2: Literally, the boat goes way faster than you, but you can just like
0: Dangle off the edge,
2: hook up another anchor point, and you're just that anchor. Like, you don't have to run across the bottom. It's going to be real slow. he
0: He waves his hand at you and he says, listen, you've done enough. Again, it's yours when it's back. And lucky dog, he puts one hand on his shoulder. He says, he's yours for the assistance. And he starts to tell him, he says, I'll make sure it's taken care of. And they start loading up the boat, as if to take out of here and get going. So with that, Yekhalith puts one hand on your shoulder from out of absolutely fucking nowhere, (laughs) and it's just like, "I've been here the whole time." (laughs) Yeah, you cannot,
2: you cannot sneak up on me like that. I almost, I almost tried to cut you. What are, what are you doing to me?
0: And she just says, You're a very good person for what you've done.
2: Uh yeah, you know, it's nothing. Let's uh let's go, let's go watch,
0: let's let's go watch him wrestle. And he says, I won't say anything. But with that, yeah, the uh, group go to the uh, wrestling hall here where dwarves do their business and stuff. And Och uh, is currently wrestling a team of four dwarves and <laughs> one of the dwarves, the one who flew out the window in his little luchador outfit there got a crit on his athletics and takes Auk to the ground. Auk was able to hold down two of the other dwarves but then the third one just flies to the air I just imagine him, him and like and Rey Mysterio style just spinning around him <laughs> <laughs> and so with that uh, Yigcaleth and Auk and Jarzag and Klika and everybody Kl- I guess Kix is there too which, yeah, very good. Kix mm-hmm. is trying to eat one of the dwarves. But anyway. The, uh, <laughs> like bad
3: Trying um, to eat one of the dwarves while the other one dro- like paints a luchador mask on kick's
0: face. Like, yes, <laughs> this one. <laughs> the ultimate wrestling machine. was Fucking peg leg. Ugh. That's what happens when you hit the random character generation button in a game, isn't it? You get the insect <laughs> with a peg leg and a luchador mask. Very good. Who also happens to speak through telepathy. But anyway, um, okay, so... The only
1: playable characters in this game are human.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, So you uh, approach Norhill, who has just finished his little council with the dwarves, and I guess the party's all gathered together now. Uh, I know that Anton was probably the first to get there and speak with him, so uh, Anton, did you want to speak to Norhill first?
4: Yeah. Um, Anson's just going to basically give him the lowdown that the halflings have also been having issues with human possible thieves, of organized group coming in, swindling members of the town and causing a lot of trouble. That maybe the dwarves have also heard of this, that we're asking for assistance with finding the source of this issue, source of this group.
1: They have, and they wear their association uh, with the thief princes of Tyhalon on their sleeves.
4: From what I understood from the guard, I think the halflings would prefer that they would not have any part of this community. I don't know if they mentioned something about something you should be aware of where the halflings would... Assume the dwarves would keep to their side and not even consider trade possibilities with the humans, due to the halflings giving the dwarves their land as a place to stay in this time.
1: Trade with cutthroats and bandits? I wouldn't trust any goods that move through them, let alone the men who carry them. I think you're right. Uh, flushing Flushing out this threat will help keep everyone focused.
4: A history check to see if I've even heard anything of these land of thieves. Thief yeah, anybody
0: can, anybody can roll a history. Um, I guess that would be it. Yeah, I guess it would just be history. Yeah, 16, history
4: 12.
0: 15. Okay, anybody else Pass. got anything?
3: Yeah, I got a 15.
0: Okay, so all three of you, uh, or I guess Anton, you got the 12, and then we got a 16 and 15? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so basically uh, what Anton knows is that Taihalan is known as the, it's the kingdom of Taihalan? But everybody knows it as the kingdom of thieves, where there's basically a series of princes who are each gifted some symbol of power, like a ring or a crown or a scepter or something such as that, or like, a, you know, any any sort of magical means there. But basically, anybody who has that enchanted gear is basically prince of that location. And the idea is that in this kleptocratic government, if you can take that item from them, you have full right to be in charge. And basically the idea is if you're that much of a shitty ruler of a gang of thieves, a, a city of thieves, that you would let that be stolen, you did not deserve to be in that position. So it's a really brutal place to live that sort of has the weird grace and deafness of a place that's run by just constantly calculating money-making schemes where everybody has to be three steps ahead of everybody else. And so the idea that these people are coming to the north is not good. And from what Norhill and Klika know, it's pretty much that same story. The only thing that you guys, I guess, would know more so than that is that the outside looking in, it's very barbaric and very silly to have a kingdom of so many thief lords and all that. But from what you guys know, it breeds super efficient business. And each of the cities down there are doing really well. The mercenary labor down in that place is amazing. And it's not the kind of place you ever want to have some sort of trade issues with for one reason or another. And so the idea that these guys are trying to cut a deal with Norhill and the Dwarves, deal being in air quotes there, is horrifying, to say the least. And knowing what you two know about this place, this was such a strategic move to wait until the place was cleared out. All of a sudden they had the ability to move back in. And these guys come sneaking up like a bunch of snakes, waiting for the right time to be like, It'd be a shame if all you dwarves had some trouble with your trade routes when you're trying to start your kingdom back up. So it was definitely a calculated move coming this way. But
4: yeah. How many princes are there?
0: Five. Okay. But
4: yeah.
1: So their only interest is going to be enriching themselves at, to, to the detriment of not only ours, but all of the northern kingdoms that they trade as soon as they can come through the passes uh, in the, uh, the Sunderswein Mountains.
0: Right. That valley there that separates the halls is the like the one entryway that they have. So Norhill's definitely aware of these people from the south. His people have always been aware of them. But again, they like keep to themselves and like there are good business people who come from there. But it's basically like the aristocracy and the nobility are just cutthroats and thieves who have made a real huge name for themselves. It's kind of like a mafia style family that just rules over a city and everybody else goes about their daily lives but it's like the shadiest of politics on a daily basis. You know what I mean? So it it works. It's not like everybody's just a thief, but nobody frowns upon doing things like extortion or blackmail or spying. Like these are viable ways of life to these people. So the idea that somebody would grow up and become a master spy or blackmailer or something like that, like it's a respectable form of work because it takes a lot of skill, a lot of ability and a lot of prestige. So to be able to do it and do it well, they're like, hey, He's clearly done something good with his life. He's done something right. But, yeah. Rather terrifying, I guess, to the honest side of the world. But, so be it. But, yeah. So, with that understood amongst everybody that these thieves are doing ill business around here, what would the party like to do at this point?
1: I say, we deal with them the way my old captain always liked to deal with, especially slippery bandits. Yeah give them a, a a nice target right something too lucrative for them to pass up uh, uh so that we can control the time and place and lay an ambush for them
4: well is there any fear of these groups becoming your enemy there is already the threat of well, or from as from we know
0: I was going to say, from what you guys know of them with the 15 and the 16, these guys, again, like shady politics, they burn all bridges that could be incriminating. If they were associated with, like, petty theft on a growing kingdom, it would not look good for that, you know, prince of thievery to, like, be outed as being, like, behind these deliberate and very, like, pointed attacks. So if they did get caught up in it and Norhill caught them high and dry, they're going to dissociate from these people and be like, I have never met this man in my life. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm talking
1: about yeah a good thief doesn't get caught uh they'll have made sure not to leave any loose ends among the people that they've sent here and I'll tell you the same thing that I told my account if these people from the south truly want to treat with us they'll send real emissaries uh, along honorable channels
0: which You've heard the name Erlisle come up, and so you know that there's at least somebody who's acted as sort of an emissary for them. So, wherever he may be, if he is real, or if that's just an alias or something, at least you have a name.
1: I know there's a man who claims to be an, an emissary from them, Erlisle. I don't believe it. It's probably a lie. An attempt for him to yeah, puff himself up and return home to a greater amount of authority when he's finished with this banditry.
4: I don't know
0: why it's so funny hearing Norhill be the one to handle this I feel like nobody else would handle it like him but Norhill just has such like a disdain and just being like what a coward, what a weenie I'm like a thief spitting on the floor but yeah All right. so what's the plan then?
4: I would only think the most valuable thing around here would be the halls themselves but As we know, there's
1: no point in them occupying them at this time. Uh, It's all all about controlling the time and place. Uh, The the, the best bait would be an actual merchant caravan moving through that area. Uh, But uh, uh, failing that, putting one together ourselves, uh, usually doesn't fail to draw the attention of these small timers. Do we
3: want to talk to... um...
0: Captain...
3: Uh, Caldro? Yeah. Lost his name. Yeah, do we want to talk to Captain Caldro about setting this up, then? Work with the halflings and the small folk?
1: he know the most, and the small folk deserve to be involved.
4: What Caldro did mention as his best plan of attack would be... Finding some way to figure out who is in charge. Cutting the head off the snake. Fair enough. Could be this supposed emissary you've mentioned, Dorhill.
1: All right. well, uh, we'll draw them out and take prisoners. Now, so, somebody, will cra- will somebody, somebody will crack when put to
3: the question.
4: But what kind of enemies will we be making? We're already dealing with the threat of war from the Herald of Steel. That's coming from one direction. If we make enemies up to the south, it's not a good way to be in understanding the state Askebelum is in.
1: If the princes are smart- I only worry. If the princes are smart, they won't go to
0: war or something like this. That is a pretty bold move to go to war or something like that. But then again, I mean, I don't think Anton's wrong with that assertion that like this could be such an, a tiny little move. To, it's like the Lysitania, you know what I mean? It's like they were looking for any excuse to be like, oh, "War, we're going to war!" Like, but I, I just sneezed. Like, yeah, it was gross. We're going to war. You know what I mean? Like anything, any excuse to get out there and do something to to fight the uh, to fight the dwarves. Anton might not be wrong in that.
4: He's also worried about Ascabellum Hearing what the way the king was. In their absence, he has no idea how this bringing about of era will even affect that. He, this whole, he has no idea what to expect of the Ascalon forces.
1: You see, that that therein lies the true genius of my old captain's method of making sure to hit them while they're trying to take down an actual target. Right? If all we've done is defend a caravan from being robbed then the princes have no legitimate reason to go to war. All we've done is just stop an attack and arrest lawful
4: criminals. Anton, oh, sorry. <laughs> Norhill, war is not a logical thing. Anyone go to war for anything they feel. I don't know if we should simply think of a certain act not triggering them. I, at this time, with the way things are, could happen for
0: Funny any reason. About. Like, talking to Norhill, specifically Norhill, and telling him that war is hell and war is chaos. And the fact that Norhill being such a logical, lawful character and viewing war in such a logical, lawful way is just like the complete like opposite of his mentality on it, I would imagine. Yeah, like he just saw
4: his like whole his. Anton's pretty sure his homeland's gone, and it's just the way it is. There's no control. There could have been any action that caused it.
0: Oh, no. We're dealing with the wartime Anton, not the depressed. that's <laughs> snowing out Anton. No! He's just like, war is hell.
4: Anton,
1: <laughs> I've, I've seen at least as many battlefields as you've seen winters. War is a game of resources. Uh, war is a game of reason. Right? So... The cost of going to war always needs to be greater than the resources you're going to need to expend in order to cross the land, feed and raise an army. Over a few dozen bandits making trouble uh, along the southern side of the mountains and for the quarry folk is not a good reason to go
0: to war. Yeah, it would be a very big move for them to move to the north to try to go to war. So I I think Norhill's right in that, that like, if this is an excuse to go to war, people would know there'd be an entire militarized group ready and waiting at the bottom of the mountains because they're they're like you know a months and uh, a month two months travel away to move an army. So it's like this is definitely a scouting crew, if anything, anything more than that, and there would definitely be more signs. You know what I mean? Got it, Anton. She just then he's
4: like, well, I guess then beyond setting a trap, they really have to find their motives. they're as simple as simply stealing goods for the sake of stealing goods, that's one thing, but I'm curious how they're being affected by the front of the Herald of Steel. I don't imagine that hasn't reached somewhat of their borders yet.
0: Perhaps, but then again, that might be the one safe space. So, because I suppose... From the... what
1: I've heard, they haven't moved any further south than Dustwind. Not since the initial attack on the Hall's Leash Waves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, from what you guys heard for the news there, the Cordial is sort of like the last spot, and because all that stuff is in the south, they haven't seen any of that. So, I mean, it could be the case that they're preparing themselves for more sort of like maybe the orcs are, but... Yeah. So if the plan is to meet with Captain Caldrow, you do know that he went to to sleep for now. So it might make sense to meet with him at night before he leaves for his watch. So would that be the plan? Yeah, that's it. OK, so in the meantime, everybody's wrestling and drinking at the tavern, getting free food as the uh, dwarves have made a good name for themselves around here as craftsmen and doing labor out in the fields and stuff. Now that everything's thawing out, they've taken up the work as farmers and, you know, cow hands and all that stuff, doing as much work as they can for the yeoman. So they're definitely more than willing to pick up your tab on all the drinks and festivities for the night. Um, but, yeah, as night falls... Uh, the group head down to the barracks and you guys meet the captain as he's prepping himself and his dog, uh, as well as uh, Margay and uh, Caracal. And so as you guys meet with the captain, what would you like to say to him?
1: Captain, please, if you have a moment, I wanted to discuss the thieves that have been causing issues in the countryside.
0: He says, I only have a moment. What can I give to you now?
1: Well, I I had hoped to be able to uh, plan a joint ambush uh, against them. You know, uh, plan a target, something that will draw them all out in force. Uh, That way we can take as many of them as possible in one swift action.
0: And so with that, he says, as he kind of like nods really quickly, thinks about it for a second, strokes his mustache and he says, Caracol, I need your help on this. Help them. And with that, Caracol gives a quick nod and looks to each of you guys, and he says, I'm sure nothing could go wrong here. And with that, he joins the group for the evening and explains to you that, again, since the dwarves have been helping out uh, in the Gnomish forges and whatnot, there's been quite a lot more crafting that's been going on. And as they're prepping to move stuff back into the halls, and selling things to Dustwind right now making a huge profit in an occupied Dustwind. um there's been a lot of caravans that have been carrying metal goods um so caracol figures the best thing to do would be to take a caravan absolutely loaded with metal goods and start heading it across the uh, the valley towards the dwarvish halls but he says you probably won't even make it a day out there before you get attacked so he says it seems like in the morning you'd probably be able to pull this off and get it done pretty quickly.
3: Good,
1: And uh, even if it takes some longer to notice, at least we'll have uh, delivered a load of metal goods to the hall. So we can at least get a start on repairs that way. Fair enough. Okay.
0: Um Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. And so, with that, um, (laughs) the uh, party are free to go to bed and get themselves prepped. So, uh, for the trip, who are you going to take with you? Because if you guys are going to be taking a giant haul of people, I think it might scare off bandits if there's a gang of, like, nine people trailing behind or in front of the caravan. So, what's the plan? Do
3: we want to just take the um, core four?
2: I mean, I think Click would be a valuable member to help out Egalith and uh, you know, they'd be a good trio.
1: The the thing about your bugman is that he's quite he, he has quite the frightening countenance. He might scare off bandits as surely as too many guards would.
3: Core four. Core four. Core four,
1: recommend, uh, just us four is visible guards. Uh, perhaps allow Yig Kaleth to trail us from the shadows. And maybe if the halflings have a stealthy guard right. there, uh, might
2: help. nor help we don't know
1: how many to expect.
2: That stealthiness is great, but who's gonna watch the other two?
0: Because can, can uh kick the click are they, busy they right can... now wrestling more dwarves.
1: My people can keep it on can keep them entertained for at least a couple of
0: days. Kick the click gets Quarter Nelson to the floor. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> Clicka and and jumps out of her seat.
1: <laughs> think of it this way, Jarzak. They're staying in a town populated almost entirely by gnomes and halflings. There is no shortage of entertainment.
2: Gnomes are about the size of the rabbit's heat's hole. So keep that in (laughs) mind. Ah. Very good. Like I'll tell him not to eat the people, but like...
1: He's going to have to learn that lesson sooner or later. Yeah.
0: And so with that, party go to rest. Wake up in the morning. And uh, you guys join up with a caravan. A couple of gnomes are riding this thingy and driving it. Uh, Caracall is planning on following in the distance uh, on the doggy. And Yggalath is planning on trailing while riding, um, I guess, on a pony herself. Or, uh, sorry, a horse herself. Uh, I imagine the rest of the party is going to be on horseback as well.
1: Uh, Can Norah get himself like a signal whistle or something? Uh, so that he can, you know, let uh, Karakal and Yggalath know in case they're, you know, out of eye and ear shot of, you know, a normal yep. attack.
0: Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. And she so like
3: to get a dog again if she can. Preferably the same one she had last time.
0: Okay. Oh, did you have a specific dog last time?
3: I don't think so, but if I could get the same one, built yeah, up a bit of sure. a
0: rapport. Yeah, the rapport is built. The dog is happy to see you very well. And so with that, the uh, group so of dog riding. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, the dog riding and horse riding. Yeah, this is the dog that doesn't lick. You're like, D-d-d-d-d-d-d-d. the dog stops, looks excitedly, whacks the tongue back in. <laughs> <laughs> and so the party on horseback riding on sides of the caravan, trailed by Karakal and Yig-Kalath. Um What an interesting assortment of characters. But you guys lead this caravan uh, or sorry, this carriage uh, about until midday. And at about midday, um, a individual standing in the middle of the road starts swinging his arms around. There's a thicket of trees to your left and there's a lot of shrubs to your right. Uh, The shrubs to your right, it's pretty much clear fields. um, But again, the shrubs are thick enough in places that you could assume people were maybe hiding in them. And so with that, the uh, man in the middle of the road walking out appears to be just wearing like typical garb. And as he's uh, swinging his arms left and right, he yells out and he says, help, I need help.
1: Norhill is going to surreptitiously just do a visual search of the side of the road for any signs of uh, people hidden there.
0: Yeah, go ahead and roll and investigate. Anybody who wants to do it can roll investigate. Ooh
1: uh dirty
4: 20
0: okay anton did you want to roll your favorite skill of insight
4: yes <laughs> turns out he does
0: need help he's 21. like this word puzzle is fucked <laughs> I'm talking about 21. oh
2: damn Charles, i okay. got a seven on insight
0: i got a 16 on my investigation okay what about norhill
1: Noro got the dirty 20 on the investigation.
0: Oh, damn. Okay. So the 16 and the 20, you guys can definitely tell there are at least 30 people hidden around here. Just judging by how many bushes are wriggling around, how many treetops seem to be shrugging and moving, and how many people are just kind of standing bluntly in the thicket of trees to the left. At minimum, there's 30 people. This is just like an ambush, like I don't think you've seen from thieves at any point, but yeah, it's got to be a tremendous amount. And from the inside, Jarzak, this guy desperately needs your help. And Anton, this guy is (laughs) (laughs) absolutely—he's not even hiding that he's full of shit. He's like, "Help me, help me!" Oh
2: shit, this guy's down. (laughs) Guys, we gotta help him. Jarzak runs towards him.
4: Anton tries to put a hand on his shoulder, when he doesn't reach it. He just face palms and just like.
3: I think it's casting Shadow Blade. Uh, <laughs> Norhill will
1: shout uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to the man, Now stop this foolishness. We know full well who you are and what you plan.
0: I have to help was, him up. I was going to say, as, as Jarzag runs towards the guy, he starts running backwards like a monster is chasing him. <laughs> and he just like trips and falls, and he's like, Oh, my wrist! <laughs> So now the guy's landing with his broken wrist in the middle of the just road. Stay and stay there, I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, um, the people in the bushes don't seem to shudder much as you run over to the guy on the road. And the guy on the road, noticing nobody's stirring, is just like clutching his wrist on the ground and lets you help him up. Okay. He says, yeah, I, I think I am. <sighs> but I don't I think you're going to be OK. And he pulls a dagger out from oh, his belt no. and he holds it up. And he's like, Ha-ha, you've been had, fool. Oh, no. Oh, goodness. You got me.
2: This was a, so, this was a trick.
1: Uh, oh, no, I was going to shout for the caravan drivers to take cover and blow the whistle.
0: OK. And so with that, um, people come popping out of the bushes and everything. And crossbows and slings and everything are brought to the ready. And as you do that, one voice yells out from the trees and seems to bark back at you guys and says, put down your stuff and just give us the carriage. We know who you are, too.
1: Well, if you know who I am, then I think you know that I can't do that.
0: And with that uh, man who looks rather attractive, with his hair slicked into to the sides and pulled back with a nice petticoat, he comes out with what looks to be a rapier at his side and a crossbow at the ready. This crossbow looks oddly similar to a crossbow that you saw. Fuck a Christ! Long, long time ago. Shing?
4: Is it the the uh, what you
0: call
2: it? The No, where... But Where's our looks, vial of water so we can draw? <laughs> we got we got one
0: from Eura. <laughs> Quick! <laughs> but and with it's that, just he, not
4: going to drown everybody. Look, I didn't okay. say that's
0: what it was. It just looks similar to it. And so with that, he holds it at his hip and he starts looking at you guys left and right. And he says, "Oh, I know all of you." And with that, he gives a couple of nods and he says, "Oh yeah, Glenn Gobora, huh?" been a long time i've been waiting a long time for this sort of deal now we have a couple ways we can go about this because i know people of your stature and your renown have a lot of money a lot of really nice toys to you it'd be a shame if i were to take a couple of you down sure we probably couldn't kill all of you and maybe this is something of a suicide mission but maybe just maybe if we all aimed for one of you we could stand a chance to kill you. Maybe. Now Guys, the do, question is... Do what they say. They <laughs> like got out of me. the dagger. <laughs> with like the broken wrist. He's just like standing there <laughs> wearing a t-shirt that says I'm with stupid. Like this guy is just the most ill-equipped one in the whole gang. <laughs> and stand like standing there with his hands up. Guys, listen. But with that he says, the question is, who out of you do you think would be the most... Painful to lose. Lord of the Hall. Child of Destiny. Hey, I don't kill, kill me. me.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he says, perhaps that one. Points over at Jarzak. And then he points over at Anton and says, or maybe just maybe the Lightbearer. Maybe the last one who could save Glory Wake. And when he says, so which one of you should we aim at while we're playing a game of bargaining here? Telling me to lower my weapons? I'll make you a deal. We'll kill one of you. How close are they?
1: Do that and your fate is shield.
0: They're about 50 feet on either side. Except for the guy in front of you.
1: Okay. Kill one of us and your fate is shield. And not only yours, but all living beings who call this continent home.
0: And then with that, he says, I'm willing to take my chances. But the question is, are you willing to take yours? He says, as long as I'm willing to sell my services, somebody's always willing to hire me. But you guys fighting on your side of the fence in a losing war, they need you, Norhill. I'm expendable. Uh,
1: perhaps. And yet, I face an enemy greater than any mortal kind has ever known. And I, will, and I won't let you know, trumped-up little profiteers like you make idle threats when there are worse things out there.
0: And then he says, maybe these can't be idle threats. Maybe I'll put some uh, real steam behind this. And he aims the crossbow down the line over at uh, Klika, And he says, it'd be a real shame if the one you guys have been protecting for so long was put to death. (laughs) I heard that Tome Guard's willing to pay a pretty price just for her head. Maybe I can make a profit. Maybe just one of my men lives to see the money. Who knows?
1: Do that and I'll make sure that it's the last mistake you ever make.
3: Uh, When Klika realizes he's pointing the crossbow at her and he mentions the Tome Guard, she's just going to Dimension Door to be directly in front of him
1: hi i'm clica
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know i think we've all had to turn saying i'm clica but um
4: yeah well so as you- now
3: you won't miss and
0: cliki just gets ready with her shadow blade hey, okay yeah i was gonna say jesus christ and with that Thank um you. He goes ahead and he pulls the crossbow down, not even really flinching much from this ordeal. And he says, again, I'm expendable. Perhaps you misunderstand what the princes would like from you people. Maybe you can, I don't know, give me a certain sum price. And I'll say that you guys left before we could even find you. Sure, I'll get yelled at, but it'll save us a lot of time and a lot of bloodshed. And I know how much you don't like to hurt people. I know how much you don't like to kill people, isn't that right?
1: I do what I must. And, <laughs> you, and your uh, your bargaining tells me that you speak not for, that you speak not at all for the princes. Uh, they, they, they won't care one might whether or not you ever return, no matter how much money you make.
0: Did you want to roll something for that?
1: I mean, uh, was I intending to? Not really.
0: I mean, that definitely sounded like the kind of thing that would challenge his whole thing here. I don't know which one you'd want to roll. Is that an intimidate or is that a persuasion?
1: I guess it's I guess it's an intimidation. Norhill's not you know, playing nice here. He's not trying to convince him of anything.
0: No, but I mean, I just feel like that's a very skill-rolly kind of thing to say. That might take him down a notch.
1: Well, natural 20 intimidation for a total of 24.
0: <laughs> and so with that... He lowers the crossbow fully to his side and he says, look, okay. We're making as much of a living as we can out here and we're not killing anybody. We don't have to. Okay. If you were any other group, we would have taken the goods or we would have left you stranded and sent you home on your way. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I am not going to kill anybody. Okay. But I'm going to do what I've done before, and I'm going to let you all go, give us the goods, and that's it. How about that? And with that, he holds his hands up, and everybody lowers their weapons.
1: About how much are the goods in the carriage worth?
0: About a thousand gold pieces.
1: Uh, what, what exactly is the nature of the goods in the car? Like, is it just like weapons or is it? It's
0: like, yeah, people? like pots, pans, and tools. There's an occasional weapon in there, but it's not like a hollow weapons. It's like, you know, again, like things you could start up a, a civilization with. Hmm.
1: Do they seem to have any like, have, like pack horses or anything nearby?
0: Not nearby but they definitely seem like they've got numbers. Like if they wanted to, everybody here could carry something away and they'd take the entire hall of goods. Okay. Like when I say you guys are outnumbered, I mean, there's like a, like a, a full public school classroom of, of people staring at you on either side of the road.
4: All
1: right. I'll tell you what. Um Earl, I assume.
0: And he says... That's one of the names I've used since I've been here.
1: Your men can take whatever they can carry from the cart, and you come
4: with us. And he says, I come with you? For what? For information. This world is at war. Your world will be at war. Eventually.
0: And he says, so I'm sorry. You you want me to come with you into the heart of of Quarrydale, so that I can be arrested? I don't see where the logic is here. What's your plan?
4: The plan is to figure out what we have left for allies. The lands what are already think... being ravaged
0: by he says, the Herald you of think Steel. That the... I'm sorry. You think that the if, princes would align themselves with you people for even a moment?
4: We have to find where the princes stand. I this think we know very well where the princes of war and stand. In panic, there's no knowing how long Cordelia will stand. There's no long knowing how long the land of the princes will be safe.
0: Well, these petty dealings to take that and, risk.
4: of theft and greed mean nothing in this face of death. We have to well, talk to each other.
0: I hate to to rain on your parade here and to to ruin this this little speech you have here trying to uh, appeal to my senses. But if your friend, the uh, lord of the halls, as they used to be, if you've learned anything from him, he's right. Okay, they don't care about life and death. They care about the profit to be made. And as long as money is on the line, plenty of people are willing to do a darker and dirtier deed in order to earn it. At the end of the day, aligning themselves with the Herald of Steel is going to make them a lot more money than trying to fight him. And I hate to break it to you, but you guys are on the losing side. You're planning on fighting him, or at least running away from them as much as I've seen your dog riding short people do. We're going to survive this. We're going to thrive during this. And you all will be a footnote in history as the fools who fought on the wrong side.
4: If you understand the Herald's motives... Yes, His motives are freedom. Your money, your profit, that makes you slaves. He won't care for that money and that profit at the end of the day. It's I haven't met too master. many. He is against everything that is masters, and money is one of those masters.
0: And he says, I haven't met too many poetic warlords. I'm going to take my chances. And with that, he pulls the rapier out and he says... Now listen, he gave me a good deal. We take the things and we leave. Wasn't that how the deal went? We can't let them leave this place, Norhill. They are
3: preying upon people who are trying to build back their lives. They're taking advantage of this war in a way that no person should. We can't let this happen. If we let them leave now, they're going to continue to do this.
1: I was willing to hear you out for the sake of my priestly friend, but I always knew it would come to this. And if you truly believe the words that you say, then I'm afraid you are lost. In fact, you've already lost long before the Herald of Steel ever marched upon your lands. On guard,
0: And with that all the weapons seem to, in like a, a full chorus, an orchestra of bow strings and everything being pulled, both sides of the road start equipping themselves with weapons as the uh, initiative is rolled. Um, but that is where we're going to end it. Hey, everyone. I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at YoungBrogNard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons.